This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Uh, What would God say uh, to the injustices that we see all around us? It's something that you will be asked if you call yourself a follower Uh, Someone will ask you, when you start start to share about your faith, uh, what does God have to say to all the injustices of the world? Uh, Currently, today, over 40 million people trafficked in modern-day slavery. Among that 40 million, one in four are children. One in four Of the 40 million are children. Three quarters are women and girls. What do you say? What does God have to say to that? 5.6 million Syrian refugees all around the world. Nearly 12 million people in Syria in need of humanitarian assistance. But not just far away, the people in your own lives, uh, you acknowledge and you see some of the injustices done to them. I have a a friend down uh, south in in the southern part of Korea, uh, international family, uh, in the midst of uh, trying to adopt a child. Uh, The biological parents of that child uh, have given consent uh, to, for this family to foster uh, this, this the child and, and hopes to, for this uh, family to adopt them. And so the, the biological parents of this child uh, want this other family to bring them in and to adopt them. And yet they can't because the local court has rejected their, this process. So think about that child. That child who is in need of a family where both uh, sets of parents, right, one the biological parent and then the foster parents, want this to happen, but for some reason, for some unknown reason, the local court says no. And obviously they're going to appeal and all of that, but imagine if that's the last word and nothing happens. The injustice to that one child. And so there are legitimate, very legitimate things that we see, that we experience, and we go to God and we wonder, God, why? What does God have to say to all the injustices of the world? And you have to be able to know what to do with that frustration, with those questions. Because if you don't know what to do with that, In the face of injustice, if you don't know what to do, best case scenario, you'll be disillusioned. You'll consider yourself a follower, but you'll be disheartened. Worst case scenario, you'll be disillusioned. It'll lead to this distance between you and God, and maybe even leaving God, even giving up on the faith. And so a book like Habakkuk gives us insight into what God would say to such injustices. 
What does God have to say? What would, how would he respond? The first thing that we're going to see uh, in this passage is God's response, it's satisfying. That when you hear what he has to say, if he chooses to respond, what you will find that it's a satisfying response to injustice. And notice I said satisfying, not complete. Because what we don't get here is a complete answer of all the reasons that God has to allow suffering and injustices to continue. God does not address that. But what you do see is when he does respond, that it's satisfying. It's a satisfactory answer. Uh, these, uh, this section on Habakkuk uh, is called the taunt songs. It's God taunting. Specifically, people who were victimized taunting their oppressors. This is the ultimate picture of the underdog, of the little man who was oppressed. And they get their chance. And you start to realize how satisfying it is when you see the bullied brought to justice. It's these taunt songs that starts with... uh, this word woe in English, uh, you'll see it in verse 6, 9, 12, 15, 19. As I mentioned, keep your Bibles open because in this portion, we're going to go through some pretty heavy, uh, you know, heavy, heavy verses. I want you to be able to connect it because it's going to be a little bit hard to follow, but I want you to be able to see it. Every time he starts with this woe, uh, another translation of it, maybe a better translation of it, is actually the words aha. Right? That's, what, that's what the verse is saying. Aha! Now listen to this. So every time you see this woe, it's, it's God's word saying, you think this, but ha-ha, this is actually what's happening. And so the first, first woe in verse 8, the, plunder, the plunderer will be plundered, right? Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. And this is what you're going to see. You're going to see that all the ways in which they oppressed somebody, they're going to get that in return. It's what you would call poetic justice. It's not just justice. It's like satisfying justice. And we see ways in which God works throughout Scripture where he brings poetic justice. It's satisfying. It's not just judgment upon injustice. It's a satisfying justice. Judgment. We see it in the story of Esther, right? When Haman is uh, after Esther and and, uh, Mordecai. And so Haman builds this gallow to kill kill Mordecai only for him, Haman, to be hung on the very contraption that he built to crucify somebody else. It's satisfying. The bad guy gets justice in the most appropriate way possible. And so in verse 1, we see the plunderer is plundered. We see this in great stories written, whether it's Esther or whether it's Aladdin. In Aladdin, what happens? Uh, there is uh, Jafar, right, the bad guy, who wants this, this genie and all the powers of it, 
At the end, what happens? Jasmine and Aladdin, I need notes for this, by the way. Jasmine and Aladdin, uh, you, know, you know, they find love. And what happens to Jafar? Uh, he gets trapped, right? The genie gets freedom, and Jafar is the one that becomes imprisoned. And it's satisfying. He gets what he deserves. And we see this continue on. And uh, the second woe, right? You see, woe to him, Babylon, who gets evil gain for his house. That word house is also another word for reputation. So they've worked and worked and worked to gain this house, gain this reputation. And then in verse 10, we see you've only devised shame for your house. The picture is we can build and build and build all we want. When we build a house, a reputation done by violence, no matter how high it is, we only devise shame for ourselves. The idea is the higher you are, the harder you fall. And that's their second judgment. Do you see how poetic this is? Even in the Hebrews, there's a lot of alliteration. Right? Words that start, that, that start with the same letter. Uh, words that rhyme. It's poetic. It's poetic justice. It's satisfying. So think about all the injustices that you, you've experienced. Think about all the ways in which you were maybe bullied. To know that there will be justice one day where that bully will experience the same kind of bullying. Right? It's poetic justice. Uh, third woe. We see similarly, uh, they labor, right? Woe to him who builds a now a town with blood and, find, and, and founds a city on iniquity. It's this idea of you build not just this reputation, not just this house, you build a city. And then what happens in verse, end of verse 13? The people labor merely for fire, the nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled in the knowledge of the, of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What do we see? They work hard to build a city. At the end, they have nothing. They work hard to bring a name for themselves, but at the end, the only name that lasts is the glory of God. Do you see the poetic justice? You build a reputation for yourself. At the end of the day, it'll only be God's name that's going to be revered. Habakkuk doesn't get all the answers, but he gets satisfying answers. And all the ways that our hearts want justice, we see not just justice, we see appropriate, beautiful justice. For uh, fourth woe, you strip them naked. Right, uh, verse fifteen. In order to, to gaze at their nakedness, right, you make them drink, you pour out wrath, make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. But in the end of verse sixteen, who's the one that's exposed? Or the, the idea of uncircumcision, the one who strips others naked, they themselves will be exposed. They make others drink. But who is the one that drinks at the end? It's them. In verse 16, they drink the cup of the Lord's right hand. They drink the cup of the Lord's wrath. Do you see how the, the, 
the way in which God's going to bring judgment is going to be right, but also appropriate, that none of us will think, oh, that was too harsh. We will all say that is right and that is appropriate. It is fitting. And who is the one that says these things? In verse 6, it says, Shall not all these take up their taunt against them? It's the victims. It's the one who was oppressed. You see, justice is a huge value of our day. It's always been. It's not just that in this past century, now we've, we're woke and now we care about justice. No, it, it was always an issue. It's something that brings out emotion, right? It's not just, oh, I wish this was right. It's something that causes the, you know, the, the very core of your heart. You want to see justice. When you find out information about the Holocaust, it brings this, this intense emotion so much so that you even doubt, right? You doubt, God, where were you? When you go to Cambodia and you see the killing fields and you see all the injustice, what happens? Not just, oh, that was wrong. It's this deep emotion of, God, where are you in the midst of injustice? And what we see here is that God sees and God knows. And what we see here is God cares so much more than you that he will bring ultimate, soul-satisfying justice for all evil. It's a satisfying response. Not only is it satisfying, it's silencing. You hear what God has to say and then you zip up your mouth and you say, all right, God, you win. I, I get it. Because that's what happens. Uh, in verse 18, this is uh, leading to the last woe. Right? It's been God who's been accused of being silent or being silent. In verse 18, what do we see? What prophet is an idol? Now God is comparing himself to these man-made contraptions. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Right? He's just helping them see. You know, you have all these other gods that you think are you know, this and that, and what's he basically saying? You worship this, this man-made thing, and he says, but it's man-made. Like, don't you see the, the stupidity of that? Speechless idols. And then he gets at it. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake. Right? It's like me saying to this thing, like, wake up, Stan. It's, it's, it's that silly. That's the imagery. Awake to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver, but there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And after this, Habakkuk has nothing to say. He's got no more questions. He's got no rebuttal. 
Do you remember before he was thinking about, anticipating, okay, when God comes to respond, I'm going to have these, this list of what to say. And he, so God finally speaks. Sorry. See, after accusing God of being silent, God speaks. After accusing God of being inactive, we see that he was already moving. After accusing God of not seeing injustice, what we find out is that we are the ones that can't see God and all that he is doing. The roles have been reversed. and all the ways that we have accused God, God now tells us to be silent. God now opens up our eyes to see what he is doing. After accusing God of being unjust, we are more aware that he is more just than we can ever imagine, that he sees all injustice, the injustice that no one else sees, whether it's in the remote islands of some place in the, in the Pacific or whether it's in the middle of the night where there are no lights, God sees that injustice, that cry that no one else hears in the middle of the night. God hears every cry from every country, every day or every evening of every moment, God sees and God hears. And that's what Habakkuk has learned. He has accused God, God, where are you? And he has found that God is present, that God cares so much more about injustice than he ever could. You see, when God speaks, we are silenced. It's the mic drops of all mic drops. There is nothing to say. He has no more questions. He has no more complaints. You see, we don't get all the answers for why everything happens the way that it does. We don't. But we do get satisfying answers. So much so that it leaves you in silence. There are many things in your life that you will have questions to God. God, why did this happen to me in my workplace, in my family, in that night? God, why? And you may never know why that happens. But I want you to know there is a satisfying answer. That God sees the evil. He sees the injustice. And there is, at an appointed time, an appropriate judgment. So much so that though you don't get all the answers, you are satisfied and you are silent. There are no more questions. There are no more complaints. See, uh, God, what would he say to the injustice? This is what he would say. That he sees, that he cares, and that all injustice will be judged. Because we need it to be, don't we? We need something, some answer for the Holocaust. We need some answer for the genocides in Cambodia. We need some answer for the 40-plus million who are enslaved today. We, we need answers for the Syrian refugee crisis. We need answers. But not only is this response satisfying and, and leaving us in silence, it's shocking. It's shocking. You see... In verse 20, as we just read, if you read it carefully, it says, let all the earth keep silence before him. It doesn't say let Babylon 
Let the Chaldeans, let them be silent. What does it say? It says, let all the earth be silent. He's reminded it's not just Babylon, it's Judah. It's him, the prophet, to be silent before him. What's he recognizing? He's recognizing there's a problem. He's wanted God to be a God of justice. And then he's learned not only is a God of justice for Babylon, he's a God of justice for Judah, and he's also a God of justice for Habakkuk. So that's why he's got nothing to say, because he recognizes he doesn't pass this test, that God will judge him. There's a problem, isn't there? We care about the injustices out there, but if we, if we want God to care about the injustices out there, we have to recognize God cares about the injustices in here. See, there's a hypocrisy in our day and age. We ask God, God, if you are good, if you are powerful, why is there suffering? But then someone will say, but God will judge. And then we, what do we say? We rebut and we say, well, God, how can you judge me on that day? If God, if, you are ju- if you're just, aren't you also good? You can't judge me on judgment day. See, we speak on both sides of our mouth. We want God to be just, but not to me. It's shocking. That's what's happened. He's confronted God for all of his seemingly, you know, idleness, being, working behind the scenes. And then we recognize that God really, really cares about justice. So much so that it's a shock to our system. It brings fears to the depths of who we are. You see, for some of us, we see that. We see that injustice, and there is a fear. And others of us, we wonder, well, mm, I don't think that's me, right? I see what has happened, right, to the Jews and and the Holocaust. I've heard of what happened in in Cambodia, but I'm not them, right? That's that's often how we think. Uh, Augustine said uh, many centuries ago, uh, our, our loves are not rightly ordered. And this is the reason we have injustice, that our loves are not rightly ordered. It's not that you have this hatred for people. It's that it's you first and everyone else second. And that, in and of itself, is why we have all the injustices of the world. I was talking to uh, a non-believing friend about uh, this whole idea of suffering and God, and if God is good, how can suffering exist? And, and I was trying to show him, uh, you know, the world has, has all these issues, not because of these really, really bad people. The, the world is problematic because of everyday people, not the worst of the worst. He's like, I don't know about that. So I shared with him in mean, the stats of you know, poverty that we have enough today, that the average person has enough today that if all the middle-class people were to just give generously, we could actually resolve poverty. He's like, I don't know about that. And then I shared this with them. I shared, okay, if you think it's not the everyday person that's the problem, imagine, let's call him Mike. 
Imagine that you are on an island with a bunch of mics, right? It's you, and somehow there's a cloning system, and right? There's a hundred mics, right? You're not a bad person. You don't. You haven't killed anybody. You haven't stolen, but you've lied. You've shown favoritism. You have envy. You have jealousy. Imagine a hundred mics, no law enforcement. How long would it take for that? you know, group of mics to commit a crime, to hurt each other? How many generations would it take where one day one mic is given a little bit more power than another mic? How long will it take for that mic to use that power for a little bit of selfish gain? It's a scary thought, isn't it? For me, I think about, you know, an island full of Joels, right? They're all preaching to each other. I imagine it wouldn't be a fun place, especially when I'm not in a you know, good mood. Right? We're all get angry at somebody. How many generations did it take for Adam and Eve to see evil? You see, what did they do? They just disobeyed God. They ate of a tree that they shouldn't. Oh, big deal. What happens one generation later? Murder. The problem is not those bad people out there. When we recognize it, the problem is what is in here. It's what Jesus said. Though you haven't killed anybody, you have that seed of hatred in your heart. Though you not, have not you know, had an affair, you have that seed of lust in your heart. That's the issue. It's not that there's some really, really bad people out there, but for us in here, we're all pretty good. The problem is an island full of Johns and Jennifers and Sarahs and whatever, Enough time, it gets corrupt. Someone takes advantage of somebody else. It's shocking. We see the world and we see the injustice and we demand, God, where are you? But then when we start to realize the injustice within our own hearts, we accuse God and say, God, you're not loving. It's a double standard. It's a shocking response. Habakkuk is speechless. And so what are we left with? His final statement, which is also a sweet response. I say final statement, final response, because this is the last thing that we know will happen of all judgment. In verse 14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Notice it says, The knowledge of the glory, not just the glory. You see, the glory is God's special presence. It's the glory of God that would come down to the tabernacle. God was present, but it's a special covenant relational presence. It's a presence that comes down when there is no more sin, because that sin has been dealt with through a sacrifice. It's that special covenant relational presence that comes. And what it says here is in verse 14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, not just the glory of God. What's it talking about? It's talking about people who understand and know and have experienced that glory. He's saying, at the end, this is what it will be. There will be a people at the end of it all where God's glory will dwell on the earth. And the imagery is like the waters, 
right? And you've seen the waters, you've seen the ocean, how vast it is, how mighty it is. It's that picture. It's that picture of God's glory will fill the earth and we will know of it. How does that happen? It happens because God is not just a God of justice. He's not just a God of judgment. He is a God of love. And he has figured out a way to deal with all evil and all injustice at the same time be loving. How loving? We know the story, right? He loves so much that the God of glory comes down takes off his glory, puts on our shame. It's as we put on his glory that we are now changed. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 say it this way. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, no, you see, even God has his loves, his, the priority of his loves straight. He loves so much that he loves us first. In this is love that we, that we have, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation is the word where our shame was put upon him. And on that cross, he dealt with it. The wrath and judgment of God was put upon him because of our prejudices, our evils, all the injustice that we have committed has been put upon him and the wrath of God was satisfied. In the song, In Christ Alone, it says, Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. You see, when God speaks, we start to realize he, he will judge all evil. It will be poetic justice. It will be beautiful. In our hearts, we will be so happy to find out all the ways in which all these people who've been beaten and killed and raped, how there will be a justice for them on that day. But not only are we satisfied, God is satisfied. The holy God in all of who he is he will be satisfied. How does he do that? By his own son taking upon that wrath. Jesus empties himself of his glory, comes down, lives a meager life, persecuted, killed on our behalf. Why? So that you and I who have endeavored, labored, been weary to to build a glory for ourselves. We've been exposed. And God says, remove that. Let me take off your shame and let me give you glory. You see, what does God have to say to all the injustices? He says he sees, he will take care of it, but he looks at you and he says, I will take care of you and I will shower you with my glory. Let's pray. If you've been blessed through this ministry, 
Join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.